Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode on my podcast. I am so thrilled that you are here with me today because joining me on this episode is the wonderful and knowledgeable Dr. Courtney Raspin. Dr. Courtney Raspin is the founder and director of Altum Health, a private psychological practice here in London that specializes in helping people heal and recover from eating and body image difficulties, and also primary eating disorders and general mental health difficulties. Dr. Courtney Respin and I are actually colleagues and we work together at Alton. And so I know firsthand how brilliant she is and I can really attest to that. Now, a little bit more about Courtney before I share what this podcast episode will be about. So Courtney, she is a counseling psychologist with over 20 years of experience in the field of helping individuals recover from eating and body image difficulties and eating disorders. She is a member and an active supporter of the Eating Disorders Association, BEAT, in the UK, and regularly contributes to the press on matters relating to eating disorders, obesity, and body image problems. In addition to her role at Altum, she lectures in the Counseling Psychology Doctoral Program at City University. So Courtney and I will be sharing a conversation on Christmas anxiety and how we can cope with the different forms of anxiety that can come with this time of year, right? From being with family, which can be very tricky. Um, anxiety over the new COVID variant and uncertainty um, when it comes to our health and whether we're allowed to be with people, our plans are all up in the air, and also the anxiety that comes with eating and body image, especially if you identify as someone who's struggling with your relationship with food and your body or someone who's recovering from an eating disorder or disordered eating. So if this all sounds good to you and you'll like to learn how you can cope with all these different forms of anxiety and also to feel less alone if you're feeling some kind of way about this Christmas, then this episode is for you. So grab your favorite cup of tea, get yourself comfortable, and without further ado, let's welcome Courtney. Well, hello, Courtney. Hello, Natalie. Welcome, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I've been wanting to, you know, have you on for such a long time now. And you know this, we, we talked about it. So, really glad it's happening. Yes, here we are at the end of the year, at the end of a very tough year for everybody. Yeah, I know. How, how are you feeling today? Yeah, I think like many people, we're crawling towards a break. I think we all need a break, especially those of us who uh, work in mental health care. Yeah. yeah. We have been kind of going full out throughout the pandemic, um, trying to help our clients uh, deal with such a difficult time, but also going through it ourselves. Yeah. I feel you on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know you do. I know you do. And hopefully we can both take a bit of a break from this weekend and come back fresh. Yes. 2022. That is the hope. That is the hope. Well, this time of year, you know, you were on the news yesterday on Channel 5 Mm. speaking Mm. about um, how people can cope with... Christmas anxiety and the anxiety that comes during this time of year and you also have a fabulous Christmas countdown on Instagram on your Instagram page right where you share so many wonderful and practical ideas and techniques for people to feel more at peace with themselves and also with their bodies so I thought you know it would be amazing to have you on and share a conversation with you on this subject of anxiety and Christmas anxiety. Yes, I mean, Christmas does bring great anxiety. And um, yeah, it was great to uh, be on Channel 5 yesterday talking about kind of the nature of anxiety and uncertainty 
uh, particularly around Christmas, which is always fraught with anxiety, particularly for those people who struggle with eating disorders, because you've got family and you've got food everywhere. And that's without COVID kind of also being part of the relationship. Yeah, triple whammy. Yeah, <laughs> triple whammy. And so um, yeah, the thing that I started with really was talking about why uncertainty is so hard for us um you know people say well why why do we struggle with uncertainty and it's and i said really that you know we are creatures of habit we crave knowledge about what is going to happen next Mm -hmm. because it makes us feel safe it makes us feel secure and Mm -hmm. when we don't have that our brains kind of reduce our ability to do anything except try and create certainty. And that's mm-hmm. the anxiety and, and the stress mm-hmm. yeah. that we feel. And so, you know, you've got COVID about, you've got Christmas about, you've got food about. People are really stressed out now, and for very good reason, because mm-hmm. we're living in an unprecedented time full mm-hmm. of uncertainty. Yeah. Uncertainty. What is your relationship mm. with uncertainty? <laughs> My own relationship with uncertainty. Goodness gracious. Well, it's not an easy one. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be easy. Um, I think in many ways I'm very comfortable, but there are certain areas of my life, and I think this is true for many people, where they, they're okay kind of going with the flow and, and not knowing. And then there are other areas of their lives where, you know, the mere idea of not knowing what happens next is absolutely terrifying. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that that is based upon each person's individual mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'd say with, uh, I think with the things you care about the most, yeah, they're the things that probably where uncertainty is the most difficult to deal, yeah. <laughs> to deal with. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And what is one thing that you're really excited about going into Christmas mm-hmm. and one thing you're like, oh, my God, I am just feeling quite anxious about? Um, the one thing I'm really excited about is um, decorating my house and making it really cozy and warm. I'm sitting in front of my tree right now. Um, I've I've turned the fire off because I didn't want the sound to interrupt on the podcast, but I love having a fire. Mm. And being with my kids and my husband and turning on acapella Christmas carols and really just um, trying to downshift. So that's the thing I'm most excited about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the thing I am most anxious about, um, let's see, there are, there are a few things I'm trying to choose. Yeah, yeah I know, there's, there's, there's never really one thing, right, that we're just anxious about. It's usually a whole buffet of... <laughs> different things of, of, of stress stress anxiety nervousness all <laughs> um well i think that i'm i'm equally excited but anxious about the new year and what that's going to bring um you know we've been overwhelmed with referrals uh and, and you know i feel um an obligation to make sure we try and help as many people as we can um so i think you know that's always on my mind about how can we meet that demand? Yeah. How can I make sure the people on my team are happy? Yeah. Um, you know, is everybody happy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I say happy, I mean, you know, coping and whatnot. And also, I'm, I, I'm worried about people's health. Yeah. 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 Um, Gosh. Yeah. I, I'd yeah. say that's what I missed. Will my, will my kids like their Christmas presents? Not that anxious about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how to downshift, right? When that's mm. playing, that anxiety, that uncertainty is is there. What's one of your favorite ways to downshift? Because I, yeah, I can relate to that. Like there's something you're really excited about. You're excited to wind down, have that quality time with your family. But then there's another part that's like, you know, it's that anxious brain scanning, preparing, yeah. planning. Mm. It takes me about a week to downshift. So that's why I think one-week holidays, they're fine. Mm. 
But I've learned as I've gotten older that if one has the luxury of being able to take a couple of weeks, and I know not everybody does, and it's not possible or feasible in many people's lives, um, then it's great because, especially if you do have an anxious mind, and I certainly do, that you know you can tell yourself, calm down, chill out, but your mind's going, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. and so it does take me some time. Obviously, yoga, and you and I share that, um, is a wonderful way for me to calm my nervous system. Really, I mean, when I'm most anxious is the time where you kind of, for whatever the reason, you're not doing it, but it's the time you need it the most. And then when you do it, I'm sure it has something to do with the opening of my hips. I'm just convinced that once the hips are open, like some sort of chakra opens up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But the energy just grounds. Yeah. Um, I think I don't check my email, you know, those types of things. It's a hard one. Uh, yeah, that one's really hard, especially when you own your own business. Mm. Um, you know, you feel it doesn't, an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, I think. Um, but I think, um, you know, the tip that I gave yesterday, it, it wasn't a, I know, but you should do this kind of practical thing. It was more about stepping back and accepting. Um, accepting that we are living through hard times accepting that many of us will have our plans dashed meant for many of us what we wanted is not going to happen yeah um we won't be able to see everybody people might get sick we might not be able to travel and there is a place to mourn that and there is a place to be angry about that and to be upset but if if at some point you keep resisting and you keep complaining and you keep moaning, then you stay in fear and you stay in resistance and you're the only one that ends up suffering. Yeah. So accepting that, you know what? Like I've got tickets for the theater booked next week and we've had them planned for a long time. And I, it's part of our Christmas tradition. And I've just kind of accepted I don't think we're going to be able to go now we might and if we do that would be great but okay like just accept and then that frees you up in a way to create meaning in what is possible yeah 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 and it frees up your time right that space in your mind and it gives you options you can think yes. about how what else you might do with that time or yeah, that space that's freed up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think acceptance has to come first. Um, one thing I didn't get to say last night, because um, Boris came on at 5, and I was on at 5.30, so I think, you know, he, he trumped me, which is fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, and so I only got a couple minutes, um, is that we need to find healthy ways of self-soothing. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, because you know, when when our brains give us um, these signals of threat and fear, which is what uncertainty does, uh, we are going to be drawn towards objects of security and comfort. Um, and, and so that's when we have some choices to make. Mm -hmm. And you know, while I will certainly be um, enjoying some wine <laughs> and enjoying some chocolate, copious mm -hmm. amounts of mm -hmm. chocolate mm -hmm. <laughs> um, over the holiday season it's really important to kind of balance that I think with other coping strategies like the yoga um, maybe connecting with a friend even if it's on the phone yeah going outside uh, finding ways of helping us stay secure and safe mm. so that we can we can feel more you know we can feel uh we can feel as if we can get through this period. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about so many things on that topic, right? Because mm. one thing that we know um, from our line of work and working with 
the clients that we work with who struggle with food and body image is that when there is uncertainty, when things get tough, for example, Christmas meals, families, mm. they flock to what is known, what is safe, what is known, which is controlling food or going yeah, to exercise, absolutely. binging and purging. So thinking about self-soothing in that, in that realm... Mm-hmm. Right. What are some things that people who are struggling with their body image and eating mm-hmm. can do when they find, right? Just one of my clients was telling me the other day that when her parents come to visit, she notices mm-hmm. that her urge to restrict increases by tenfold. Mm-hmm. 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 So mm-hmm. I don't think there's it's a coincidence there. So what are some ways that people can self-soothe or notice those urges and do you know it's interesting Natalie because I've got a few things going on in my head and the first is that I tell I tell this to my my eating disorder my clients who struggle with eating disorders like don't expect the huge shifts over this period like if you (laughs) regress a bit if you if it's super hard and you end up reverting back into kind of binging and purging more or restricting more it's cool, babe. Like, this is the hardest time of year. <sighs> Cut yourself a little bit of slack. Yeah. One, a couple weeks where, you know, you kind of fall off the wagon or whatever it is. The thing that's going to get you is then, you know, criticizing yourself for that. Mm. And being angry with yourself or feeling like you should be able to do more rather than just saying, you know what, this is a really hard time and my mom really pissed me off. (laughs) And I have not yet developed other ways that feel as safe as this yet, but Mm -hmm. I will. Mm-hmm. Rather than, oh, I've let myself down. I'm such a failure. You'll never get this right. You're never going to get better. It's hopeless. Because those are the thoughts that then throw you back into restricting more and binging and purging more. So I think the first thing you do is be kind to yourself. Yeah. And have realistic expectations for this time yeah. of year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. But, you know, other things you can do. Um, if you're in therapy, then I think it's important to take a, you know, make a list of all of the coping strategies that you've learned in your therapy and put them up on your wall in your room. Because when you're in the midst of threat, like it's very difficult to kind of pull on the things that work because, you know, you are just... I always talk about the tire tracks in the snow. You know, you're always going to go down the road where the tracks are already um, established. It's easier just to do what you've always done. Like you said, do what's familiar. Mm. And it's not until you create new tire tracks uh, in the snow. Um, Do the yoga 20 million times. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Repetition. Repetition is key here. Yeah. Yeah. Neuroplasticity, establishing mm-hmm. your neural networks, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard time of year, and we can just acknowledge that out loud. That it's yeah. not. Yeah. It's not the most wonderful time of the year, certainly for most <laughs> of us. Not for everyone. Not for, for everyone. everyone. And and I think it's so easy. Um, you know, if you struggle with binging, let's say, um, you know, a, a bit of overeating over the holiday period is a very normal thing yeah it's 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 part of the celebration but i think the language that people use colloquially around eating a lot like oh i'm so stuffed i just binged and it's like okay but a binge is not just eating a lot yeah yeah a binge is there's so and i think anytime somebody who has binge eating disorder eats a lot they start to criticize themselves and then it turns into a binge rather than just saying oh i ate too much i'm stuffed it tasted really good and i'm gonna stop right there and that's part of christmas and that's not a binge yeah so for our listeners who might not know what a binge is within you know in clinical terms well what what on earth is a binge and are there different kinds of binge eating yeah absolutely well you know a binge in a, in a psychological sense is eating more food than 
most people would in a discrete period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and not only that, but there is usually a feeling of being out of control, being unable to stop. And sometimes people feel what we call kind of a dissociative element, which means that they almost feel like they can be watching their bodies or they're not inside their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a feeling of guilt, tremendous guilt afterwards. Yeah. Tremendous guilt. And so it's not just eating a lot. Yeah. It's, it's those other things as well. Have I left out anything, Natalie, with regards to diagnosis? No, I think, I think that's it. And it's happening yeah. pretty frequently. Like, yeah. And then well, less- to have binge eating disorder, <laughs> it needs to happen at a certain frequency. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying that some people don't binge sometimes, but, um, and that, that that is not serious if it tr- causes you tremendous psychological distress. But if it's not happening at a certain frequency, then you wouldn't be diagnosed with binge eating disorder. Yeah. But I think those elements, right, the, the sense of feeling out of control, like you, you can't really stop yourself after starting and the in, immense discomfort in your body and the guilt and the shame that comes with objectively eating a, more food than any person on the street would in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even if you had like... I don't know, two chocolate bars and you feel the same amount of distress. That's what we would call subjective, a subjective binge. Yes, I mean, it's interesting because I don't think the amount of food is what defines a binge because people can eat normal amounts of food in in a bingy way. So if somebody sits down to have a brownie, let's say, and they eat it really quickly and they're feeling anxious Mm -hmm. and they, they don't even taste it and then they're feeling guilty, to me, that is disordered eating yeah 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 yeah. um because of the experience of having the food yeah rather than kind of the quantity of the food yeah so just so our listeners are clear because now (laughs) we just went from a very standard definition to then saying it's about the feeling right it's about the quality Mm. how you experience the experience of eating when you eat yeah. something and yes. how you feel after eating something mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think, look, we have diagnoses in the realm of psychology and psychiatry, which is, you know, there's a book and somebody decided what the criteria you know, were for particular illnesses. But I mean, I, like most of us believe that behavior um, is on a, it's on a spectrum, you know, it's on a continuum and that uh, so many people who struggle with their eating and body image out there do go to their doctors and are told that their, that their experience is not valued. Yeah. You know, they're not quote unquote thin enough to have an eating disorder or, you know, they aren't binging a certain number of times in order to meet criteria for an eating disorder. So they can't be referred to a service. And I think this is ridiculous because as we are saying, the most important thing is psychologically and emotionally, what is your relationship to food? And does that feel healthy and wholesome enough? Yeah. It doesn't have to be zen. It doesn't have to be peaceful all of the time. Because actually, food is emotional. It you know? is. It's, but is it within a realm? Do you, do you have a healthy enough relationship with food? In the same mm-hmm. way that you have a healthy enough relationship with your loved ones, with your family, yeah. etc. Yeah. I, I just love what you said. Because diagnoses... I I, I really, I think I have an issue with the whole disease model of understanding Mm -hmm. illness. You know, you know, I have had the experience of anorexia and I'm very open about it on my podcast. Mm -hmm. And having, um, I mean, over 20 years ago when I was given that diagnosis, it wasn't explained to me and what it created was a sense of, okay, like obviously something is definitely wrong with me now. <laughs> something like I was already feeling so bad about myself. So when someone gave that label, yeah, it's just like, it felt really dehumanizing. And mm. so now when I'm working with my clients with eating disorders, I just have to wrestle with that term a lot because it just feels so... 
don't even know. Like, it's, yes, clearly, food and eating, there's something wrong there, but it, it's just really the surface of something so much deeper. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there are some benefits of diagnosis to some people. Some people find it reassuring. Um, for some people, having a diagnosis enables them to access medical care yeah. um, because that's the gatekeeper oftentimes. And yeah. I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but if you have this stamp, then you your GP can open the door to the next level of care. Yeah. Um, but for others, I think it is dehumanizing. And I think that it is unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it, it is really important to look at the individual because no one person's eating disorder mm-hmm. looks exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. So back to the subject of binge eating. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I think this word is thrown around a lot within friends and family. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like a binge. I, I've overeaten. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. Right. And and this just makes me think about the anxiety that I know I had felt in the earlier days of my recovery when people would mm-hmm. make unsolicited comments about food, <laughs> advice on your and on your appearance. And, and in fact, many of my clients are, you know, whether or not they are recovering from distorted eating or just generally from a mental health point of view. Mm. anticipating unsolicited advice comments around okay let's just say around food right whether they they might say oh like I, I ate too much or I shouldn't have so much so much potatoes yeah. or oh you look good or oh you look you, yeah like how you, looks, you, you look so healthy I know I know <laughs> and 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 the and the dread and anxiety that comes with that and how can we protect ourselves from these comments how can we stand up for ourselves Mm. Mm, how do you manage these comments Courtney (laughs) I think people are pretty careful around me these days (laughs) 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 but you know the bigger issue here is how we help change society so that thinness is not equated with success because I think, you know, and that's, and people's, because that's oftentimes people say things and they don't mean to be triggering or rude. They think that they're being, you know, I, I'm an eating disorder specialist and I was out on my patio over the summer and my daughter was playing in the garden with her friends and one of the moms, and I love this mom, she's great, she's lovely, she comes in, comes out into the garden, she goes, oh, you look great, have you lost weight? <gasps> I may have, I don't really weigh myself. And I just kept on doing what I do as in like, and then thinking she knows what I do for a living. So clearly for her, she wasn't trying to upset me. This is part of her narrative and identity about what it means to be a woman and to look good. Yeah. That you look better when you're thinner. Mm-hmm. So that's what made it interesting for me rather than I didn't feel offended, but I was a little bit like, wow, this is so entrenched in, mm-hmm. in, in the way that, that we are. But I think like coming down to a more micro level, which is what do I do when somebody says something? And this is so tricky because particularly in recovery from anorexia, the idea of being seen to gain weight is so tricky. Mm-hmm. The idea of being seen to yeah. take up space. Yeah. Yeah. It's so tricky. And people do notice when you gain weight. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. They do. They do. And and usually it's like a grandmother that goes, oh, you look so good. <laughs> you know? And they're meaning it in the most loving way. But it's the most unhelpful. Mm. Mm. Unhelpful thing. Um, so are you saying, you know, what can people actually say in the moment yeah. or? I think what can people say in the moment, but also how do you deal with the impact, the emotional impact that it has on you, right? When someone comments, ooh, you put on some weight or ooh, you, you look good or oh, you look so healthy 
Like, how can you? What do you do with your feelings <laughs> when someone makes that comment? And I and I can share what how how I coped during that time. Yeah. But also from you first, Courtney, if you have any ideas. Well, I think it's important to anticipate who you're going to get those comments from first, because you know who it's going to be most of the time. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. You do. Uh-huh. And then so you know you got like have like an anti-marge shield that you put up or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what what do you do with those feelings? I I think you need to prepare yourself. I don't think you can go in hoping they won't come. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people do. They're you know they're avoidant, so they don't prepare because it's so scary. And then when it happens, they get really angry <laughs> rather than being like, "All right, here she comes." Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to just ground myself and study myself. This is not about me. This is about her or him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is not about me. Um, remove yourself from the situation if possible. Excuse yourself to powder your nose or whatever it is you do. You don't have to stay there if you're feeling hit by a tsunami mm-hmm. of emotion. Go into another room and ground in whatever way mm-hmm. suits you. Mm-hmm. And rehearse those things by yourself or with your therapist. It might be a particular piece of music. It might be a breathing technique. It might be a yoga pose. It might be a mantra yeah. that you say to yourself mm-hmm. um, to remind yourself that you are in the right place for you at this moment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what I would say you do with your feelings. Mm-hmm. How did you manage it, Natalie? Oh, good question. How did I manage it? Well, every time, because obviously I was very, very underweight, and mm-hmm. when I started putting on weight, it was obviously <laughs> evident to everyone, and so people just couldn't stop commenting on how I looked. People would say, you know, uh, oftentimes well-meaning relatives, they would say, "Oh, wow, like you, you put on weight," like literally, bluntly in those terms, and. You know, obviously, at that time, I was just really trying to reconcile with my new body, my new weight, my new new everything. So whenever those comments came, it just hit that very sensitive part of me that was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, I'm like, am I okay? Do I, you know, it, it, what did what did they mean? Did they mean that mm-hmm. in a negative way or a positive way?" And I remember going to my dad, and I said, "Oh my God, I feel so heartbroken that that's what everyone sees. Like everyone just." keeps telling me that I look a certain way. And I think at the time, what my dad said really helped me, just having his reassurance. You know, he said, mm-hmm. you know, that's because you were really, really, really sick and underweight for a long time. And so people can help but to notice this, but know that you are actually looking really healthy now and this is where you need to be. So I think just having that outlet, you know, of just being able to express how upset I felt mm-hmm. was one way and yep. then developing a thicker skin really <laughs> developing yeah. a really thick skin knowing that that's how people who are not body sensitive see mm-hmm. bodies and comments on people's appearances and then sometimes standing up for myself and saying hey you know what I actually really don't like it when you comment on my body like that can we talk about something else i love that one that's my favorite that kind of yeah. like i don't really like it when you do that or i know you think you're being helpful but it's actually really unhelpful yeah so if you want to care about me please don't comment on my body yeah yeah and it feels really empowering when you know i can say that to someone it's just saying that's where my boundary is and yeah. if you are not going to respect that then the conversation ends here and um, yeah, so I think that's what I can think of really. It's yeah. having a safe outlet and boundaries. Absolutely, and and don't avoid. Expect that it will happen. Oh my God! Yep. Expect that it will happen. Yeah. Um, and self compassion. <laughs> When, yeah. when I learned the scale of self, it's just like yeah, like self soothing, like you said, like wow, like that was really hard to hear, but. That's not, you know, that's not... It's not my circus, not my eyes. (laughs) I mean, you know, I think part of what makes it so difficult, um, and anybody who has struggled with their their eating um, will know this, is that 
you know, when you're working so hard in recovery or from anorexia particularly to increase your weight, there's a part of you that remains very much rooted in, in the anorexic identity because it's hard to become anorexic. It takes a lot of work. Mm. Um, and that voice is strong. Mm. It's stronger than anything else. And what you're doing as you gain weight and you lean towards recovery is you're you're taking with great courage you're taking risks to betray that voice and do the opposite of what it says Hmm. and not to trust it's scary messages to you about what your worth is and who you are and Mm -hmm. what makes you special and important Mm -hmm. so when somebody says you you've gained weight even if they're saying you look amazing that little voice in your head, which is still one foot in the identity, is going to say, see, you failed me. See, mm. you're doing it wrong. See, you're, and you get sucked back. And I think that's what people who don't understand eating disorders don't get, you know, that that by saying that, it, it, it awakens the beast within. <laughs> it's, very, it's, very, it's very triggering, yeah. Yeah, very triggering. Yeah. Have you experienced struggles with your own body image and of course I have yeah I mean I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder but I was definitely much thinner than I should have been and uh very focused on my body and appearance for a period of time I used to model um you know and um yeah there was a there was a period of time where I could have really got sucked down and I didn't um, so I, I was excited I've had a taste of an eating disorder. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but struggling with my body image, for sure, um, mm-hmm. that's been a journey. And, you know, I'm older now, and, and I'm actually fairly settled in my body yeah. today. Um, but it's been evolving over time, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I know there's never just one thing that um, helps us along this journey of making peace with our body, mm. but if there's one piece of advice or something that you know you can look mm-hmm. back, you know, at your your life mm-hmm. that has helped you to feel more secure, more at ease mm-hmm. in this vessel, this earth suit that you're in, this earth suit that I'm in. Yeah, do you know? But, I think the the short answer is love. Yeah. You know, is yeah. is love. I think for me, it was feeling truly loved for everything that is not my earth vessel. Mm. That, now, you know, some people might say, well, that needs to come from within. And of course it needs to come from within. I think, and it, and it, and it, ha- and it does come from within. But what, you know, along my journey, as you said, it's not any one thing, but I think feeling and having a knowing of being loved for my intellect, my humor, my caring, um, you know, my passion, um, just feeling as if those were the most important things about me mm. allowed me almost to, and again, this is just one factor of many, just focus less on the suit and more on the life. And I think the more you do that, the more inconsequential the mm kind of the casing becomes and that's not to say that I'm not a woman who you know doesn't love being uh you know I love being a woman and I love I love makeup and I love hair and I love fashion and all of those things so I'm not saying you know I don't care about my appearance or that it's not important but it's not the most important thing about me Mm -hmm. and my worth isn't contingent upon those things I think that's the shift that's yeah. that's the shift that has happened gradually over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? What else has been because of the body image? I think 
think feeling strong in my body has been important. Having mastery, um, I think through yoga, you know, um, being able to see what my body is capable of. Yeah. It's been amazing. I feel beautiful when I'm doing yoga because I feel capable and I feel strong. Yeah. And being capable and strong, you know, that I can use my body in this world and that like it gets stronger and like I can do stuff. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Super, super cool and also super important. All the things that you just said, right? It's this idea of self worth Mm. and how, you know, since time. I don't know when it began, but women, men, whatever your preferred gender pronouns is. Yes, absolutely. Our worth has been so tied to our external body, how we look. And so rewriting the script, right? And unlearning that, okay, actually, whether it's the internalized voices from the diet industry, from social media, from mom, dad, auntie, uncles, grandpa, grandma, Mm-hmm. That, oof, that's it's not so easy. It's so hard to unlearn. Yeah. It's, and, and I, but it's interesting you said that because I think it's not only feeling loved, you know, f- feeling loved for all the things that aren't, but also separating yourself from any of those factors that have contributed to the old narrative, mm. um, even if that's family members. So how can... Um, how can we begin to do that? <laughs> Big question. Yeah. I know. Look, fam- family's family, and usually they're not all bad. Some of them are all bad. In fact, when they're all bad, it's easy because you can just cut them out. It's when they're half bad, half good that you don't know quite what to do with it because yep. holding those that dialectic is really hard. Yeah, I know. I know that one. <laughs> That's most of us. It's most yeah. of us, isn't it? Um. I think it's, like you said, you know, developing a thicker skin, but also just not tolerate. When, when somebody says something about how much you're eating, your weight, that you, you know, this, that, and the other, again, it's about saying, you know, it's about having compassion for them. Saying, wow, they grew up feeling like this was so important. Mm. That's so sad. Because really what your mom or your dad who is saying those things to you, and if they're half good, it's bizarre, but they're saying it to you because they think it's going to help you have a better life. Mm -hmm. But it's a lie. (laughs) And it's a lie that was passed down to them as children, too. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that allowed me to is when I started to feel angry and upset to then say, oh, poor you. Mm. you know yeah that you had this pressure and now you think you think that in order for me to be successful or be loved I have to be x y and z and I'm so much bigger than that now like my life is so much more whole because I know that I don't yeah so much more free because I know that I don't free is the word yeah yeah Yeah. And I think for us, right, maybe we are more resilient and our skin's thicker when we receive those comments or we read something like that. But I'm just thinking about, you know, some of our clients, you know, um, that grew up with a mother that's very um, concerned about her body and her eating. And when, you know, I'm just thinking of one client in particular, when she would tell her mom, mom, I feel like I'm really anxious about what I eat in or how I look, you know, and her mom would say, okay, honey, just stop eating so much sugar and just have some fruit and have something, you know, have less carbohydrates. And this is my clients recovering from um, disordered eating. And I just think, like you said, it just can be so confusing because you it's clearly coming from a place of care, but then the part of yeah. you that you've been developing in therapy knows that that's really not the kind of thing I should be doing. That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but, but you're right. It is. And, and, and I don't think there's anybody... I think this is what makes it so tricky because we see this with so many of our clients in recovery... Um, that the parents are just saying, yes, but I just, you know, I just want her to be happy. And they don't kind of see that what they're doing is 
is unhelpful. And you know, obviously encouraging a child to eat their fruits and vegetables is a great thing. But it's very, you know, demonizing food has just kind of become part and parcel of living in our society. And, and, and it's almost you considered a bad parent if you let your kids eat mm. sugar. Mm. Yeah. And and and, people, and and parents are like, well, I must raise kids that don't eat sugar because I'm a bad parent if I allow that. And I just, yeah. So unhelpful. Yeah. So unhelpful. I know. I know. Well, let's see. What is one thing from both of us, right, that we can give to our listeners as a reminder when that critical voice sneaks in, whether it's literally mom and dad, aunt and uncle, friends, or the internal, oh, you're so fat for eating this, you're so disgusting, or you shouldn't be. Well, let's take some time to think, okay, what's one thing we hope people can remember when they're feeling that anxiety around food? Or their bodies that will like them to hold on to. No pressure, Courtney. <laughs> one thing. One thing that they can do to what? To, to Maybe a mantra. One, one thing they can do or a mantra. Just something that you'll like to offer them as a reminder mm. when they're feeling that anxiety. there's going to be a phrase or a mantra that you know your life is your own and you are good enough you know that you that your life is not theirs that you are separate from them um Mm -hmm. and 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 I think that if you can in those moments remember that then that because that's what it's triggering that you know you that you're wrong or bad somehow when somebody says that, but you know, you're not, mm. you're good. You're good and you're worthy. Just as you are. Just as you are. And I don't know about you, but for me, I find humor really helpful because it allows me to diffuse. Mm. So when I say something like this, not my circus, not my monkeys. So then, you know, <laughs> you know, I can see it's, it makes people laugh, but some of my clients take that away because when they can laugh, they can step outside of themselves and look in on it. It's a way of creating distance from yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that's one thing they can do. It's interesting because in um, in ACT and acceptance and commitment therapy, one of the uh, one of the techniques which I think utilizes humor is that when you hear somebody saying something and it is particularly triggering to you, imagine them saying it in the funniest voice. Yeah. You can imagine they go like a Donald Duck's voice, like a chipmunk. Amy Herman's voice, yeah. or a chipmunk voice. And again, that provides diffusion. Mm. And I think that's really helpful too that you say it's just a voice, mm. it doesn't have to penetrate you. Mm. And diffusion, we know what diffusion is, but mm-hmm. what, what is diffusion? So, yeah, diffusion is about, about looking at your thoughts. You know, rather than fusing with your thoughts, becoming your thoughts, people often believe that they are their thoughts, mm. that just because they think it, it's true. Um, but one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is saying that is a thought. Mm. Mm. And I don't need to believe it or I can let go of that yeah. because it doesn't serve me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And there's an, another technique from act right that helps with this noticing this witnessing that you're talking about it's just to add these few words in front of a thought that is arising in your mind so instead of thinking i'm feeling so anxious i'm 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 feeling so fat right you can add these few words i'm noticing that i'm having the thought that Mm -hmm. i'm bad or i'm noticing that i'm having a thought that i shouldn't be eating that and the shift wouldn't be, you know, something that will change everything. But again, it gives you that space to realize, oh, yeah, I'm noticing that something's arising rather than yes. I'm, I'm it. Yes, absolutely. I'm noticing that something's arising rather than I am it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, my, my mantra or sentence that I often give to my clients is to you know literally place a hand on their heart or on their stomachs or wherever and just remind themselves that I'm not doing anything wrong right I'm not doing anything wrong I haven't done anything wrong for 
having the snack or whatsoever, and that's their story, not my story. Right? That that's. I love that. That's yeah. their story and not my story. Yeah, and I'm not doing anything wrong. So when you are feeling some kind of way about food and your body and feeling very anxious, play this podcast, this specific segment. Remember what Courtney offered and what I offered. And hopefully it will introduce a different perspective into, you know, your headspace, into your body and help you to feel a little bit more soothed and at ease with yourself. Yes, that would be lovely. If we can do that for people, we can feel great (laughs) over the holiday season, Natalie. We can offer even one person uh, a little bit of peace then um, that's Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Well, Courtney, I think we sadly have to pause our conversation here for today, but I'm sure I'll have you back again at some point in the new year, hopefully. Well, that would be lovely. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much, Courtney, for coming on and for having a chat with me on this subject of anxiety, uncertainty, uncertainty, Christmas, and everything oh, it's in between. Been my pleasure, my pleasure, Natalie, and uh, I wish you a really happy holiday season. Likewise, Courtney, and Merry Christmas to everybody who's listening. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Natalie here once again, and I just want to say thank you so much for listening. And if you did enjoy this episode, be sure to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It will really mean the world to me to hear from you, and your reviews will also help more listeners discover my podcast. All right, you guys, that's all for now, and I'll see you all in the next episode.